Welcome to Top Self, the podcast dedicated to relax your mind, achieve change, and become a healthier, more present you. Are you ready to move past the daily anxiety, comparing and doubting yourself, and feeling like you're not enough? I'm your host, Shannon Bryant, and I've ruined many good relationships because of my jealousy and stayed way too long in some bad ones because of my insecurity. But I stopped letting fear drive my actions, and now I can't wait to share with you as I dive into these emotions, shed light on how they might be impacting your life, and uncover strategies to break free from their grip. It's time to start living a life of confidence. So get ready to ignite your self-worth and transform your life because, my friend, you are worthy. Well, thanks for joining Top Self Podcast again today. I have a great episode for you. I have with me today Jisani Fisher, and she is a psychologist, best-selling author, and happiness coach, which I love the most of all of the things that you've done. So welcome to Top Self. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I know that you talk about overcoming fear of the unknown, the unpredictable. And for us that are suffering with this extreme jealousy, that is one of the things that's super hard for us, the unknown, the unpredictable, because we want to know all of the details so we can prepare ourselves, which we know even with that preparation um, doesn't much help our anxiety, but we feel like it does in some way. So I'd Mm. love to start off there talking about, you know, how do we overcome this fear of the unknown and the unpredictable? Yeah, that's a really great place to start, especially when we think about as human beings, Shannon, we are very, very much driven by either wanting to avoid pain or pursue pleasure. And we are more apt to avoid pain than we are to pursue pleasure. And so if what we don't yet know is something that creates a lot of fear, then we're going to do whatever we can to avoid that particular pain than we would to pursue or seek things that make us happy or bring us joy and fulfillment. When we think about the way that our human brains are wired, we know that we have the reptilian brain, the mammalian brain, and then the human brain. So if we can think about our, it's called the triune brain, but Essentially, what it is, is evolutionarily speaking, the human brain evolved from having a simple reptilian-like brain to having the quote-unquote complex interlay of different nerves and neurons that create the particular brain that is within our skulls. We think we have just one brain, but when we really look into it, we have evolutionarily three different compartments to the brain. And I found with each particular compartment to the the human brain, we have specific fears. When we think about the three core human fears that we can talk about if this is of interest, this unknown, not knowing, puts us in a space where we're not sure if we are in control of what's happening. And if we're not in control of what's happening in our lives, then we are very much in a place where do we survive? Do we not? Is a very big question, whether it's a conscious one or an unconscious one. That makes sense, especially when we talk to other people. We may talk about this jealousy issue that we have or this jealousy concern that we have. A lot of people don't understand it when they're not going through it. And 
a big part of it's like, well, just, you know, why are you worried about it? Don't worry about it. Nothing's happened yet. There's nothing to be worried about. And it's like, well, okay, you can do that, you know, without knowing the unknown. (laughs) But for us, it's really hard not knowing if we're looking at it from the standpoint of these three separate brains, then how do we overcome that fear or get used to the idea of the unknown? Yeah. Based on what you just shared, when we are looking at ourselves in the context of a relationship and the unknown is, oh, is my spouse cheating on me? Are they feeling a certain type of way or doing something that we're not sure and puts us or I, or a sense of identity at risk for, you know, death. I'm going to call it death, but not the physical death. Um, it really is about that second part of the brain that I mentioned. So it's not the reptilian brain. The reptilian brain is the part of us that wants to survive. It's the part of you that if you are crossing the street and there is a car coming at you, you're not thinking about what to make for dinner or where you're going out on date tomorrow. You're either running forward or running back or completely frozen, not knowing what to do. That's the reptilian brain. But the part of the brain that is really active when we're thinking about that fear of unknown, based on the, in my relationship, what's going on? What is the other person thinking? Or how are they feeling? Or what are they doing that I might not know about? Um, it's the mammalian brain. The mammalian brain within our skulls is a part of our brains that are responsible for things like our emotions, what we're feeling, but also our connections. And if we're going to talk about fear of the unknown within that part of the brain, what we're really talking about, Shannon, is the fear of abandonment. We can call it the fear of the unknown, but ultimately it's about, am I going to be abandoned? And this usually shows up for people as social anxiety issues, maybe a lack of confidence or issues developing intimacy, into me see, right? Intimacy issues. Um, but I've found that when we are struggling with this fear of abandonment, what we're talking about essentially is whether it's one major block or multiple smaller blocks towards um, a freedom of expression of our authenticity. And that happens because we don't know if we will be loved or accepted or we will be abandoned if we choose to express who we are truly, which is why it shows up as I'm going to think about the other person first, or I'm going to put their needs first before mine. Or sometimes it shows up as we're actually not even sure of who we are as an identity, as a sense of self, because we are so enmeshed in our relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I know that that is something that we experience a lot is putting the other person first or certainly when we're feeling jealous, when we're feeling insecure, because all of our focus is on our partner. We aren't turning inward and saying, well, you know, who am I? What do I want? Can I handle this if it does happen? Because all of that attention is going to our partner. So mm-hmm. is there a way to turn that around? Yeah, absolutely. If the reason why we are f- so focused on our partner has to do with um This is only in the context that this is a relationship pattern that you've noticed. Some of us, very small percentage of us that have a struggle with this issue isn't um, a pattern necessarily, but a one-off. If it's a one-off, then this is not particularly what I'm talking about. 
But if this is a pattern that you have noticed over the years where you do tend to go into relationships where you're not sure of where the relationship stands or you get extremely insecure or anxious or distressed about the relationship, it happens typically because of, I know a lot of people have heard of the attachment style theory. So there is a lot of research that points us to the idea that the way that we show up in our relationships happens to come from the way that our relationship with our parents developed. And this is based on John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. They started doing research 50s into the 70s, but essentially what we saw was that as kids, if we grew up in a situation or with parents who either were so overwhelmed with life so we, they couldn't give us the attention that we deserved or needed as kids, or maybe we had parents that went back and forth. One day they're extremely loving and coddling. The other day they're completely disinterested for whatever reason. If we have that particular relationship dynamic with their parents, we develop what's called an anxious style of attachment. That particular style of attachment gets us to feel as an adult like, and we're constantly worried that maybe our partner doesn't love us, or if a relationship ends, then the world is completely over. And we'll see that if this is the type of attachment style we've developed, we feel extremely sensitive to criticism. We feel responsible for other people's happiness. We need approval from others a lot. We have low self-esteem. We feel unworthy of love. Maybe sometimes we have difficulty trusting people or that extreme sense of the fear of abandonment like we talked about with the mammalian brain. Or I've actually seen in some of my clients, being alone is an extremely distressful time for them. So being able to be alone is something that creates a lot of anxiety. If this is something that resonates for you and the, the anxiety in relationship comes from, based on your reflection, this particular pattern that developed, the best way or the fastest way that I found we can actually help people climb out of that particular way of thinking is to remember that it's always an inside job. So if it's something that continues to knock at your door and it's the same guest, right, the same pattern, it typically means that there's something inside of me that needs to be addressed. It doesn't matter how my particular relationship right now is going there's something that needs to be addressed. If I don't address it, I'm just I'm going to continue to repeat that pattern and repeat the same mm -hmm. mistakes until I learn from it. And so mm -hmm. the first thing that I do, first and foremost, no matter who I'm working with or who I'm um, speaking with at that moment, it's always an inside job. So it's always about knowing my relationship to myself first before I can address my relationship to someone else. And if I can address my relationship to myself first, all it entails is understanding who I believe I am. So that question of who am I or what am I is an extremely, extremely powerful question that a lot of us don't ask ourselves because it's actually really scary to look at because we're actually unsure of what the answer is that comes back. So when we start to ask the question, who am I? Because I I have done this, I've worked on this for quite some time, and I a hundred percent believe that the, the both the the struggle and the solution are within ourselves, right? Looking at ourselves, mm -hmm. 
And I think sometimes people get lost in that, like, well, how do I figure it out though? When we try to answer that question, it's more like, well, what do I like? What do I want to be? Who, you know, that type of thing. Is that the right line of questioning or are there particular questions maybe that we should ask ourselves? Hey, you, I just wanted to pop in and let you know the doors to the Trust Building Bootcamp are now open. Are you tired of feeling anxious and insecure in your relationship? Do you constantly worry that your partner's cheating or they're going to leave you even when there's no evidence of betrayal? Do you feel like, oh, I just can't trust even myself sometimes? Well, that was me. And if it sounds like you, it's time to stop second guessing. And I know some of the thoughts that you have, like, is this something that anyone would be upset about or am I just worried about it because of my jealousy? Well, mark your calendars for Wednesday, May 29th, because that's when our trust building bootcamp begins. In our weekly one hour sessions, you'll learn how your brain is choosing unhealthy strategies to get your needs met and how to pull yourself out of those insecure habit loops. I lead every session live to give you guidance to learn to trust not only your partner, but yourself. Whether you're struggling with past traumas or simply want to strengthen the foundation of your relationship, this boot camp is for you. And believe it or not, we actually have fun. Don't let your fears hold you back from experiencing the love and security you deserve. Spaces are limited, so visit topself.com to sign up or simply click the link in the show notes to take your first step to a more trusting relationship. You won't regret it. See you there. Yes. So when we think of the sense of self, what we're talking about is who am I in the sense of the ego? And the ego isn't necessarily like, what am I proud about? But the ego is just a collection of different stories, a collection of the different experiences that you've had over the course of your life. So when we look at who am I from that that lens of the ego, the personality that's developed in this specific human body, we can look at the identity funnel. And the identity funnel essentially is a, a layer of six different things that we can begin to understand how we see this world. So the first thing that we think about when we think about our identity is the role of the environment. Our environment, so who we're around, what's being told to us, other people's feedback, um, where we live, what we do, that environment very much has an important role in who we think we are. Inside the environment, we also have specific social roles that we play. Am I a sister? Am I a teacher? Am I a daughter? Right? So we have specific roles that we categorize ourselves and compartmentalize ourselves into. And then within that frame, we also have, and we're starting to go inward now, it's the social comparison. The only way we can feel a certain level of quote unquote value about ourselves is when we begin to compare. And it's just a human like inherent trait that we have. It's not necessarily something that's bad or good. But the social comparison piece of it is that we begin to look at ourselves in comparison to other people. So depending on how you're comparing, are you comparing up or are you comparing down? Again, there's no bad or wrong or good or right. It's just how are you comparing yourself 
Because when you begin to be more conscious and aware of how you're comparing yourself to the people around you, because you're going to do it, you begin to realize for yourself and you begin to grow a sense of empowerment as to understanding how your identity is actually developing. And then we go in even further, our identity, self-identity is very much composed of the different thoughts that we have. Not thoughts like, am I, go- am I good? Am I bad? But thoughts like, what am I interested in? So for example, for a really long time, I couldn't stop thinking about tarot. Like I became obsessed with reading tarot and I couldn't put the cards down. Like no matter where I went, what I was doing, I had to be holding my deck of tarot cards. And the thoughts that I was having during that period of my life really did shape who I felt I was and how I felt about myself. Versus maybe in a different time of my life, I was completely obsessed with thinking about getting my PhD, passing my dissertation. And that particular time of my life, I didn't feel very good about myself because I kept coming into different thoughts about, well, what if I don't get my PhD? What does it mean if I don't get approved? What if my would the IRB or my board doesn't like what I'm researching, right? So like the different types of thoughts that I was having really did shape who I thought I was. And then if we go even further in, the thoughts, before the thoughts, we have, or some people think it's after, but it could be both. There is the sense of, I, I feel a certain way about myself. How do I feel about myself that really shapes who I believe I am? If I think about between 2018 and 2021, the feelings that I had were very different from the feelings that I had maybe 2015 to 2017. And it's not specifically feelings of me, like how do I feel about me, but just feelings in general. So one period of my life, I was extremely bubbly. Another period of my life, I was really irritable and cranky. So these particular periods of my life where I was having these set of feelings really did change who I thought I was. And then if we go even further deep or into the core of who we are, we have beliefs about who we are in this world. And these beliefs are formed when we're really young. And a lot of these beliefs form when we're before we are able to consciously tease apart how we're developing these beliefs. But once these beliefs are formed, the life experiences that we continue to have afterwards really do either nurture those beliefs or don't. And then we have a particular area of our brain called the reticular activating system, which is the part of your brain that says, oh, this information that I I am seeing is important to what Jisani believes about herself. So I'm going to send that information up and Jisani can be consciously aware of it versus If my unconscious mind is saying that information coming in right now, that data is not conducive to what Jisani believes, so we're not going to send it up. And when I say conducive, I don't mean helpful. I mean, does it corroborate what I believe about myself in this world? Mm -hmm. If it does, it'll send it up to my awareness. If it doesn't, then I'm never going to see it. It reminds me of when I was, um, I think it was in high school, I was walking next to a friend. And she was complaining to me about how she didn't have enough money to do the things that she wanted. So like, I can't get my nails done. I can't go out with my friends, right? She was complaining about how there was so much lack in her life. And we're having this conversation, walking to the diner. It's plain as 
day there is a $20 bill on the ground and we're walking. It's right there in, in the middle of the sidewalk. And I'm looking at the $20 bill. I'm looking at my friend. I'm looking at the $20 bill. I'm looking at my friend going, when is she going to see this, this money? But she never does. In fact, we walked past the money and I had to like, like tap her shoulder, pull her back and say, hey, we have to go back a few steps because you just completely missed something. <laughs> and it was her unconscious mind saying, oh, that $20 bill doesn't corroborate what she believes about life. So we're not even going to send it up to awareness. She, so she doesn't see it. So these beliefs that we form when we're very young, subconscious beliefs create bigger and growing ripples of this is how I really believe this world is or isn't. And so the experiences that we're having, the information that comes up to our awareness, either continue to grow that belief or doesn't. And so that belief that I have that I formed when I was really young will shape my feelings, will shape what types of thoughts I have will shape how I compare myself to others. Do I compare up? Do I compare down? Will shape the particular roles that I play in my life. And then we'll actually begin to shape my environment. So the types of people I hang out with, mm-hmm. the feedback that I, re- I receive from other people, um, where I live in this world or what type of house or environment I have um, in my room, in my kitchen, in my office, right? So that particular set of beliefs when we're young really do ripple out and create these big changes and they get even bigger the more we hold on to them and the older we get. So when we can look at ourselves and be consciously aware of these layers of the identity funnel, we can identify whether we like who we are in each of those layers or who we are not or what we don't like about ourselves in each of those layers. And I think being socially or consciously aware of each of those layers are extremely important for us to understand um, that, you know, that that saying it's always an inside job and we need to take care of the relationship with ourselves first before we can actually begin to take care of the relationship outward. So the identity funnel, I think, is extremely important when we're thinking about, you know, do I feel good in my relationships? Do I not? Why is that? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And thank you so much for giving such a great visual. One question that came to me when you were talking was, I think a lot of times we go, you know, I know I'm feeling insecure. I know that I compared down, think less of myself than other people. At the same time, there's like, I'm also thinking but I know that you're a really good person and you are really great and you do have these things going for you and you are smart and look at the things that you've accomplished. So I think sometimes it feels really hard because you can truly think both of those things at the same time, which seems really conflicting. So what's going Mm. on when that's happening? It's like, I am strong, but I'm not strong. (laughs) So there is that adult version of you that knows intellectually how you want to feel about yourself. And you do have particular life experiences that you've collected and, you know, kept in your pocket that say, I am strong. I am worthy of love. I am beautiful. I am resilient. But you also have that part of you, that inner child that we like to call her or him, that really took on these beliefs when we were young, before we had the resources to be able to 
process and analyze what was happening, that inner child that had the particular experience or experiences that said, you're not strong, you're very weak, you are less than the person next to you, or you're not worthy of love because your mom didn't even want to pay attention to you when you cried out for help or when you needed her, she was never there. So if your mom couldn't give you the love, then who will? Right. So like we have these core beliefs that really settled in to our brain and our body. And it shows up in the way that we maybe we slouch or the way that we walk or the way we talk or express ourselves. Our bodies don't lie. But we have that part of us that really does require the soothing, the healing, the attention that he or she never received when we were little. That that little child who may not have had the capacity to express with language what was happening, to be able to give them that space to say, it's okay, you are lovable and you are great. Um, and I think that does very much conflict. But the thing is, whenever the two do conflict, it's kind of like the brain, the inner child will always win. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. with the reptilian brain is turned on and activated, it doesn't matter whether you are feeling like you've got really great friends or you know you're a really great psychologist, those two parts of the brain completely shut off. And that reptilian brain will always win because our survival is extremely important. Uh, so good. So good. Yeah, that's why you stay mm-hmm. kind of in that stuck mode because it's like I can tell myself all day long or remind myself, but that doesn't change it. So how do we then start to change those things? I know you were saying asking some questions um, of ourselves. How do we get there and how do we make that change? Just saying, no, you're great, you're confident to really believing it and changing that as a belief. Yes. I think if we take a two-pronged approach, it's the most complete or most effective way to change. The first pronged approach is taking the action steps to tell your unconscious mind that you're serious, that you really do want this change. And then the other pronged approach is receiving, that receiving us. So you know how we have that conflict of I want to do and I want to do all these things to achieve. And then we also have the part of us that just wants to be and to receive. So it's like that masculine and feminine parts of us that are always, they're not in conflict, but we tend to overfeed or overnurture one over the other. So if we can bring the two back into balance and we can say, okay, I know I have the will and the agency to say, I want to um, feel loved. I'm going to take action steps to tell my subconscious mind or my body that I'm serious, that this is a change that I want. So that means maybe perhaps putting a list together of these are the mantras that I'm going to tell myself every morning that I'm meditating. So doing actions of taking action steps to actually follow through on what you're saying you want. That not only wires our subconscious mind to begin to look for new information, but it also tells the universe, if you will, that the universe can trust you when you say, I want this. And then The other approach is the aspect of the feminine where you are allowing yourself to receive the change. And that really is not the intellectual piece, but it's the feeling piece. So doing what you can to, whether it's through meditation, 
whether it's through connecting to nature, for example, or whether it's allowing yourself to be in flow through painting or playing the piano, um, but allowing yourself to uh, get lost in the receiving energy aspect versus I'm going to do, do, do is really important. So for example, I can create a list of mantras or affirmations that I will say to myself in my meditation. The second pronged approach I can take is um, for those of you who are experienced with things like hypnosis or self-hypnosis, we can engage in that where we're approaching our subconscious mind to receive the change. Um, or we can allow ourselves to just receive the, for lack of a better word, love, to receive love when we're painting, to receive love when we're playing the piano. So a lot of us think self-care is about, you know, let's get our nails done, let's get a massage. But self-care really is about receiving. And receiving doesn't only happen when you are doing those things that take care of your physical body, but it's also your psyche, your spirit. So how can you receive the gift of life or the gift of love by allowing yourself to get lost with everything at the same time? Does that resonate? Yeah. It kind of is that choice. Coming back to choice of I'm going to make this choice to change that. And how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that through actions so that you can Mm -hmm. do some rewiring? Yes. And to receive that. I have actually something just came up to me. I think the best way to be able to approach this would be to use what I call mindful awareness. And mindful awareness is three different, if you think of a triangle, three different points. The first point of mindful awareness is to understand that you control where your attention goes. You can have everything else taken away from you, your health, your family, your job. The only thing that can't be taken away from you is your ability to choose where you're going to focus. So the the top of the triangle is attention. Mindful awareness also includes something called attitude. You get to choose what your attitude is going to be. If you're driving, I'm very, if I'm on the highway and I'm in the left lane and someone cuts me off, I can be really pissed that that person is being inconsiderate or I can choose to focus on something else, but have the attitude of curiosity. Maybe that person just really needs to get to the bathroom. So I can choose my attitude. No one is in charge of that for me. And then the third point to the triangle of mindful awareness is aim. Remembering what your aim or your your intention is. So what is your intention for this day or your life? What do you want to focus your attention in that particular aspect of your life? So how you want to go. So attention, aim, and attitude are the three points to the mindful awareness triangle that I love to, for myself, it's really important to come back to every so often so that I remember that when I'm doing my work, whether it's because I need to grow or I need to heal or there is a particular relationship that's triggering me, it really does help to reframe it so that I feel more so in in control. And I think we go back to the beginning of our conversation when we talked about the unknown the unknown will always be there. It has to. It's the contrast to what we are always in control of, which are the three things, attention, attitude, and aim. 
Mm. I love it because if you think about it in that way, then there really isn't any unpredictable. Like you're okay in that unpredictable or unknown. I love it. Yes. And I like the aim. And I like the aim part because that is really what you have to continue to remind yourself. Like, why am I doing this? What do I want? Like, what is my Mm -hmm. ultimate goal? And if you keep that in mind, I think the attention and the attitude makes it easier, right? It makes it like, okay, if this is what I really want, then I can change my attitude and and then, you know, I can also choose where I want to put my attention. I don't want to put my attention there or I do want to put my attention here because that's this is what I want. Oh, I love it. Love it. Jason, thank you so much. What a powerful message you have and what great information that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much. I know this is going to help a ton of people. I appreciate you being on Top Self. Thank you for having me.